0: Hello everyone and welcome to Designing the Future. You know, when we think of design, we naturally think of drawings, renderings, you know, digital representations of physical things in the real world. And we tend to think of the engineering of those things as straightforward processes of imagination, calculation, and then codification of ideas that guide the people that build structures and devices. But advanced technology promises to change this process in ways that we haven't seen since the introduction of computer-aided design. Now joining me today is a key figure in this change. It's Rob McGuire, Vice President of AutoCAD at Autodesk. Rob holds a Bachelor of Science degree from UC Berkeley and an MBA from the Boston University School of Management. Rob, welcome to the program. Awesome. Happy to be here. Thank you, uh, Rob. It's, uh, it's it's such a huge topic. I hardly even even know where to begin, and it's so fundamental to everything that that we do. But there's you know the elephant in the room, and we've got to address it because COVID has changed you know the way we work uh, in general and engineering in particular. I mean, what is going to happen when design moves from something done in engineering offices to something done from fishing boats to beaches to, you know, the, the back of a taxi? You know, we, we spent generations teaching designers and engineers to put their work face on first thing in the morning, sit down in front of a workstation and put in a solid eight hours a day. You know. Are we going to see a change in creativity, do you think, because of what we've evolved through COVID?
1: Yeah, I think creativity happens in a lot of places, like everywhere from you know the engineering office to even coming up with some of your ideas in the shower sometimes. Um, so we've got to be able to capture those ideas where and when our customers want to do that to support the industry. So it seems that with the advent of web and mobile things, we've got to bring the design process into those other paradigms. There will still be plenty of office environment kind of stuff, but in a cloud-based world, the collaboration over digital assets as opposed to just paper drawings is obviously a huge deal. And with the advent of mobile and bringing your devices on site, or even simply do a meeting sometimes to share your concept with somebody else who doesn't have the same software that you do, we have to support all those interaction styles.
0: Historically, I mean, from from the, the advent of CAD, uh, a powerful workstation, a powerful hardware was like a cornerstone of the whole operation. That sort of locked you down to a certain extent. So if you had a brilliant idea uh, that you sketched on the back of a beer coaster, you then had to take that to hardware powerful enough to, to, to run the software. Um, is, this, is that breaking down? Are we reaching a world now? You mentioned cloud where, you know what, I can take that that, that, that $500 offshore laptop and, and, and make it sing.
1: Absolutely, I, I think, All of the above, I think there's plenty of people who want those high powered workstations for really big data sets. But the more we move things to the cloud, there's practically infinite processing out there. The other huge piece of this I'll say is is the advent of GPUs, right? Like 20, 30 years ago, um, and it's not just for graphics, I'm talking about like actually solid modeling processing, the amount of computational power you can put on a GPU is huge. And if you look even at a, a mobile phone, right the gpus on the mobile phones are about the you know about the capability of a cpu from about 10 years ago so if you think about you know a lot of cad solutions have been around for decades you know they can run in mobile environments full speed right and so with with cloud the downside is is latency right like if you have to move all your data up to the cloud or pull it back down that that can be a little bit time intensive so it ends up being this sort of computational versus latency trade off so if you've got the computing power right in front of you, like let her rip, right? Like get, get the full speed, get the full performance of what you paid for, but you can offload that to the cloud. And you know companies like Autodesk and the cloud providers out there can help uh, automate that process on your behalf, especially if you're doing something like simulation, like fluid dynamic simulation, finite element modeling simulation, those hugely computationally intensive uh, processes can be offloaded. And then bring the result back to to the author to the designer.
0: Yeah, I mean the uh, um, uh, the graphics card people, those hardware people. It, I, I wonder if it caught them by surprise how much of their their of their how many of their devices end up being used for things like AI and things nothing to do with graphics at all.
1: Yeah, well, and and on that one, I think the interesting thing, honestly, is Bitcoin. Like a lot of people found that they could do the the Bitcoin mining on the graphics card, so the graphics card market just exploded, right? So. Graphics cards went everywhere and the hardest ones are actually still hard to find, especially even in a COVID time, we have supply chain issues worldwide. So getting some of the latest and greatest graphics cards is relatively difficult. But the good news for CAD and design industry is that you can actually, the prevalence of those cards is everywhere now, right? They get cheaper and they have those sort of generational shifts in computational power that really makes it so that, uh, you know, our models and designs can really sing. and what it also gets is that a lot of times a lot of our designs were fragmented over many different companies and many different uh, constituencies like we start to link all of those designs together so the model gets bigger right the data set gets bigger you can have historical versions you can have variations of your designs all of that is right in front of you whereas before you'd have to sort of manually save off different versions and share something with somebody else merge changes between other uh, other designers and colleagues and that is really changing, right? So we can provide tools to make those collaborative processes considerably easier than they were before.
0: Yeah, you now of course we're talking about the cloud, and um, historically, uh, I, I come from the automotive industry originally, and and uh, networking was very commonly done by by General Motors and Ford, by the uh, by the big three previously, with very proprietary, very rigid, and incredibly expensive systems that were closely held, and they were sort of shared with top level tier ones to a limited basis. But I mean, uh, I was still one of those one of those guys with a briefcase on a flight to Detroit Metro on Monday morning to to actually collaborate, you know, face to face. Uh, now we're at a point where it seems that even small and medium-sized enterprises de- involved in engineering and design have the same level of connectivity as like transnational corporations. So if I'm, you know, if if, if I'm welding process piping for oil refinery, I, I have the, it's. I get the sense that I've got similar power to Bechtel. Is 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 that the future?
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think there's been a lot of collaborative processes in the industry for you know decades, right? But it was all sort of behind the firewall product data management, product lifecycle management offerings, but as those offerings move to the cloud, their capacity and scalability has to increase, right? And as it does, it, it just democratizes the whole thing, right, and it, it's kind of the, similar to AWS as a developer, you can sort of walk in and just pay for what you need. That is what our industry is doing, right? So having to not having to invest in a huge data center to support a cloud, you don't have to invest in a huge product data management installation, crazy network setups to deal with your you know, tier one suppliers and that sort of thing. You can all just be on, on the cloud, but obviously things like security, scalability, control, uh, even like uh, patriation, rights. So where is the data stored, right? If you're doing business in the European Union, you need to know where it is and there's various privacy laws and data residency laws that have to be uh, considered in the process. But what it does is it makes that barrier to entry so small, right? You walk in the front door, you say, I want these collaboration tools and there you go, right? And, and I think not only do we have sort of the product data management, product lifecycle management aspects of collaboration, but what does that look like in the design environment? Like, what does that look like on a mobile device? What does it look like on a uh, on a web offering? So, and how do you switch, uh, switch between the, the various platforms? That is kind of the new paradigm and when we have so many different products from so many different companies, we have to stitch those data networks together to support those collaborative processes for our customers.
0: Uh, now we, we're 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 talking about you know multiple things going on in the, with cloud cloud connectivity, and you also mentioned you know the hardware, uh, mobile devices. Uh, we, we went from a world where you had um, you had you know deck writers, you basically you had a, 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 a you had a mainframe computer and a terminal in your office, to a world in which we had very very powerful workstations, which were still in our office. Then we had powerful laptops that let us take it home with us to a world, another world you're talking about now where we're, we're not only device agnostic, we're actually device ignorant in the sense of do we actually care anymore what the hardware is we're using the thing? And instead of the back of the beer coaster, am I going to take out my smartphone and a stylus and sketch my design? Is this the future?
1: Uh, absolutely, right? And And what's a little dizzying sometimes is you'll probably seamlessly switch between, right? So you might have an iPad where... You want to see your design, but then you can dock that on a device that has a keyboard, a mouse, possibly a stylus, maybe even a multi-touch style environment. So, what does it look like, you know, with uh, applications that were designed, you know, decades ago? Sometimes with different interaction paradigms, what does that look like with multi-touch? Like, what does that look like with a stylus, right? So, I want to be able to sort of pan and zoom around, uh, you know, the way I always have on my mobile device, but you know, couldn't always do that on my CAD application. So I think when we've got those different variations, there's there's a lot of things to consider, right? A lot of people kind of fat finger their uh, <laughs> mobile device, right? You don't want to be drawing with 14 decimal places of precision with your finger, and like you're you want to be able to snap to exactly what you know to be you know the point that you intend to select from a CAD precision environment. You know, there's not many multi-touch applications out there that that do that kind of thing, right? So. What would that look like? What are those inter- user interface paradigms that we have to develop to support that way of working? Right. Similarly, with a stylus, right, you can use the top, you can use the back, you can use the button. What do those things do? How does that interact with you know design paradigms that have been around for for a really long time? So there's a lot of exploratory stuff with that. And when I mix modes, right, so I go from multi-touch, then I dock, then I do my keyboard and mouse, then I upload something to the cloud send a notification to my colleagues, I get feedback, but I've already made some changes, right? So how do I get my changes merged with what my colleague just sent me over the cloud? That's a lot of interaction paradigms and expectation matching that we have to go, have to deal with for the industry to succeed, right? So when I make a change, you know, I'm legally liable as an engineer to know what has been changed, right? So I need to be able to see that. So how do we understand from our customers what they need to understand about the changes to the data while still enabling them to collaborate with people freely and not having to copy and paste large amounts of data from one design to another, you know, which is just sort of silly redundant processes that the industry's had for a very long time.
0: Rob, you brought up a hot button issue for anyone in design and engineering and that is change management. Uh, back in the day when I began, there was CAD, but uh, CAD designs were translated to blueprints because the world still wanted to see things on, on paper and cardboard tubes, and that meant document control. And one of the things that rookies like me had to do was literally chase documents. And when we went through the alphabet and had a revised print, it meant that I had to go and round up all the other prints and then account for them with the chief engineer to make sure that every piece of paper was out of the field and then back into the shredder to make sure that everybody was on the same page. And it was a non-trivial problem. We could get into enormous trouble and a big mess if one supplier or subcontractor was working from uh, the wrong revision in there. And th- those costs were sort of like just built into the system. We need- we weren't even aware of them. Is, is are we looking at a world now where we, we don't care how many engineering changes we make? Can we just have infinite change?
1: There will definitely be quite a bit of change. But as I mentioned, I think, our customers are very aware that they are liable in most cases for the changes that are being made. So how do they ensure that the right changes are being made and not the wrong ones, right? So I think there are a few industries that are perhaps a little bit um, ahead in some ways of the engineering you know, CAD design world. Um, I briefly spent some time doing software development at Autodesk and the software development world uh, has talked about change control for some time, right? They have the GITs and the Githubs and various source control management systems. And when you make submissions to that, you know, it'll show me my differences. Like what's the difference between what I've done and what the master copy has, right? And then I can right-click merge, right? And merge all my changes up there. So I've only changed the parts I want to and the parts I haven't, right? So similar, if people are working on a Word doc, right? If someone can work on the front paragraph, you know, the introduction, somebody else works on the conclusion, you know, we want to be able to merge those, those things together but if two engineers are working on the same part of the document at the same time that has to be rationalized by a human right so they've got to look at it we can offer suggestions as a cad application provider but ultimately you know one or both of those uh, authors have to actually weigh in on that so how can we provide tools to assist them in this process so when it's you know completely cut and dry give me the introduction from this document give me the conclusion from that we'll make that super easy but when a conversation needs to be had between stakeholders around a document, you know that's still got to
0: happen, right? Hey, Rob, about um, uh, cross-platform communication. Uh, uh, there was a time when tier twos, tier one's, tier twos were told by their major OEM customers, "This is the software you will use," because they enforce standardization. Because there was a fear that if you deviated from that that standard in the tiniest way, there'll be tremendous new communication difficulties. Are we platform agnostic truly now?
1: I'm not sure we're quite there yet. Um, There are certainly, you know, big, uh, you know, construction service providers, you know, tier one automotive kind of stuff, they will dictate certain things. Um, You know, the thought that ran through my head is uh, I live in California. And so the San Francisco Bay Bridge, if you worked on the renovation of that bridge, you used the 2008 version of Autodesk products, you know, and the construction took ten years, <laughs> so like sometimes you can't really lock in. Like, not even Windows is supported on those kinds of things, right? And some of these projects take so long. You know, the the need to kind of standardize on this stuff and deal with uh, like no change at all, just lock the whole thing down, is a little just naive when you consider how many different pieces of software out there, how many other things going on. But the if you look at the underlying reason, like why did they want to standardize on 2008 or any version? Um, we've got to get at the root of that. There's there's real concerns about unintended changes that they can't see, right? So how can we provide them a lens to see those changes? You know, what did change? How is this happening? You know, and I think it's very difficult because the data that we, we deal with in the various industries that we serve, you know, some of it's super visual, right? Like here's a 3D rendering of the thing and I could maybe see it, but a lot of times it's a 2D representation or dimensioning or annotations. And even those changes I want to be able to see or even data that's not visible at all, right? The more you get into BIM and parametric kind of stuff, you can't necessarily see a parametric constraint graphically. So how can we share with our customers what's going on underneath the hood to build their confidence so that we can kind of advance over time? I I think also like uh, look at the existing web properties out there like a Gmail or a Facebook, whenever they do a big change, like a big user interface change, they kind of give you a little bit of a little bit of a announcement or lead time, but like, hey, new interface of Gmail is coming, do you wanna try it out? Right, And you can kind of dip your toe in the water and do that change when that's most convenient for you. However, to think that something like Gmail or Facebook isn't gonna change is just not reality. right? And I think most of software as a whole is going in that direction. So it has to stay up to date. It has to stay always on. So we might support a few different versions here and there, but we will increasingly be consolidating people towards uh the latest and greatest. The other big reason people need that is you know the security threats in the cloud are bigger now than they've ever been, right? And we have to be responsive, right? There will be mistakes in the software industry that will create vulnerabilities and we have to provide a means for those software companies to resolve that as fast as humanly possible to protect all of our data, right? Not just design but banking and governments and everything else. You know, the that Idea that you can lock down a workstation on a certain version of things is is certainly fading away.
0: Well, you you brought up another hot button issue one that everyone's talking about. Um, um, I visited uh, tier ones the aerospace industry who physically use um, uh, specially procured USB sticks to move files because they're they're so security um, they're so concerned. About even Ethernet connections, let alone uh, ransling to the cloud, and uh, we have you have either regulations or regulatory issues, with proprietary information. There's security issues from a national security standpoint. Is is there a, is there is there ever going to be a standard sort of level of security or standardized cloud-based security system where we can say I'm good and then not worry about this?
1: Possibly yes. I mean, so there's some standards out there now. Uh, we're very seriously considering the FedRAMP standard. So. And there's various levels of that. Um, You go going up and down. You know, the truth is there are some, you know, some organizations, usually military, Department of Defense, they're going to want to be on super lockdown, and and that's okay. But I think there's, uh, you know, I've even been on site in places where they use hot glue and they (laughs) stick it in the USB port so that no one can stick a USB drive in there either. So it, it happens and it is out there, but. I think a lot of groups that are just perhaps a little bit afraid of the cloud, you know, think that they're, you know, the U.S. Army (laughs) or uh, the Navy SEALs or somebody like that, and they're simply not, right? The benefits of the cloud far outweigh some of the risks that they're concerned about, and that's up to the software industry to convince our customers that that is indeed the case. But I think the vast majority of people are not, not dark sites, like meaning people that never go on the internet ever most of these things are on a network. And as you say, the network is vulnerable by itself. And chances are the Googles and AWSs and Microsofts of the world are a hell of a lot better at network security than uh, than some of the smaller mom and pop shops that don't even really have a uh, true network administration. So I think when people come to that realization, you know, it's, it's gonna shift, right? So we've seen a huge shift uh, at Autodesk of just how many of our files are, you know, locally on uh, either C drives or network drives, you know, usually what happens is one of those network servers blows up and the company loses almost all of their data because of some multi-hard drive failure and the RAID blew up. And then they just decide that, look, you know, Microsoft OneDrive or SharePoint or Teams is frankly better at this than they are, right? And it's not a value add for customers, right? Like all of this stuff is overhead to maintain your old network, your own network, to maintain your own hard drive repository or archive of drawings. It's simply cheaper, faster, safer, and more secure to put it in the cloud, right? And so we've seen a huge shift over the last five, six years where people were very afraid of doing this. And in general, most of the industry is starting to realize that that's that's the better choice.
0: Uh, Rob, where, where are the customer expectations? Who who do they feel is responsible for security? Ultimately, of course, the customer will blame the engineering firm if something goes horribly wrong, but does the engineering firm do they look to do they look to Autodesk? Do they look to AWS? Do, do they look to their hardware supplier? Is it where do they point a finger in this case?
1: Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of finger pointing. Um, you know, in the construction industry, the sort of running joke is the the last phase of. Construction is litigation, <laughs> so um, how do you, you know, uh, who's responsible, right? If the thing is over budget or um, over schedule, who's at fault, right? Or if there's a network security problem or whatever, who owns that stuff, right? So there's an increasing amount of standards in the world. Um, so there's something known as the common common data environment. So in Europe, something known as the ISO 19650 standard. So if you do construction in Europe you pretty much have to be compliant with the standard these days. And so general contractors are usually the ones that kind of own the repository. They have lots of subcontractors and so they'll sort of farm out that. So the GC is usually the one that uh, fires it up. Then who do they? Who are they buying that environment from, right? So if, do they buy it from Autodesk? Do they buy it from AWS? Do they buy it from other other companies? So it's kind of like whoever's got that first name on the contractual line like they're usually the liable party, right? And so that's that's a real deal, right? And so service level agreements, you know, tend to be sort of uh, spelled out. A lot of the big companies have spe- uh, specific contracts that tell you what is your uptime, what is the response time, you know, time to detection of failure, time to remediation of failure. All of that kind of stuff is, is explicitly spelled out. Again, the mid-tier to small companies, they don't have the lawyers and the computer science people to be able to figure all that out. Uh, but they will benefit as the top tier of the market irons all those details out. That will start to cascade down and the re- reliability is only going to get better. But yeah, ultimately it's kind of whoever buys that environment is sticking a you know, stick in the sand and say, this, this is what the way it's going to be, this is where you're going to put your data and here's who's
0: liable for it. Rob, last question. And it's sort of a broad one. Uh, You've talked about the democratization of design. You're creating tools which are simpler and simpler to use. They run on cheaper and cheaper hardware from essentially anywhere all at the same time. And we're talking about being able to facilitate engineering change in a faster, more efficient way. So we're looking at faster time to market and ability to process engineering changes more easily and at lower cost. Uh, At what point are we looking at a world in which the customer, the end user of a product, is actively involved in the redesign of the product? In the sense of the real-time feedback goes back to the manufacturer and says, you know, uh, uh, this radio will work a lot better if you made the knob bigger. And in fact, I made a sketch of uh, what I think a bigger knob should look like. Take a look. Is is that the future?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's... uh kind of silly, but uh, I, I watch a few designers on YouTube, right and you kind of watch like the cutting edge of what the next generation is doing. and people have different CAD models of what they're working on and I don't know those of you familiar with Discord, uh, but it's basically you know online kind of forums sort of thing. People are posting different design ideas and it's sort of a very public way to to do these designs and you get different iterations, people can comment on them there's a whole sort of narrative, right? So the part of the design process that tended to happen across the conference table, you know, or in a conference call, that is starting to move online, right? So I can see these different versions and start to work on this together. Everybody's got, you know, different opinions about whether their designs are truly public or if we're going to put it in some sort of private cloud and only have certain people comment and iterate on that. But that, that discussion, right? That's a super valuable design feedback discussion that's been Part of design since the very beginning, that is going to start to digitize, right? So people are out on site, they take a picture of whatever's going on, attach it to the drawing. I don't necessarily want to print it with the drawing, right? But I want to be able to talk about it. I want to be able to review it, have a conversation with my constituents about the quality of this design and what possible improvements would be better. And so those pieces of feedback are going to come from all different angles, right? Other people using the power uh, design tools. Others just take pictures of stuff. Others just put random comments on the Internet. How do we bring all of that back together? And so the the person that's rationalizing all of those suggestions and ultimately going to make a new iteration of that design, how do we make their lives easier? And so that's that's what I think it's going to move to.
0: Yeah, incredible future. Rob McGuire, Autodesk AutoCAD, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: And thank you for joining us in Designing the Future. See you again next time.